This is the official podcast of the 122nd Fighter Wing. Views and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of the 122nd Fighter Wing, Air National Guard, or United States government. No endorsement of any person or business is ever intended. Welcome to Black Snake Bites, the official podcast of the 122nd Fighter Wing. Our mission is to inform, motivate, and inspire 122nd Fighter Wing airmen, attract new recruits to the U.S. Air Force, and promote engagement with the broader Fort Wayne, Indiana community. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Black Snake Bites. Your host today is myself, Lieutenant Rogers, and we are talking with two medical professionals in both the civilian and military sectors who have first-hand experience working in the country of Niger, located in Western Africa. Lieutenant Barton and Staff Sergeant Sellers are volunteers in the Indiana-Niger State Partnership Program, which has included sending members of our own 122nd Fighter Wing to provide life-saving medical training to doctors and soldiers in Niger. But first, let's start with some introductions. Lieutenant Barton and Sergeant Sellers, could you tell our Black Snake Bites audience some, something about yourself, such as your professional background and why you joined the military? Um, I'm Lieutenant Amanda Barton. I've been working at Lutheran Hospital in the trauma ICU for approximately 14 years. I started out as an ICU nurse and really loved my job and everything I do and um, the bedside. But I just kind of got to that point where I wanted to do more and give give back to to someone other than our, our patients, the experience I had and my skills that I had learned through nursing. Um, my husband is Master Sergeant here. The 122nd has been here for about 16 years. And there was a, a position that came available for the CCAT nurse, which is a critical care air transport team nurse. And he saw that it was open to the civilian world and brought home the application and kind of just started the ball rolling with that. And so... I came out here and commissioned at 40 years old um, and have been here for the last two and a half years and really enjoying the family aspect of, of what we do here and where we're going with things. Thank you. I am Staff Sergeant Katie Sellers. I have been in about the same time, about four, four and a half years now. My husband is also out here um, as a traditional. He's kind of the one that really got me started into the military. I also have a lot of family in the military and it was always kind of an option for me, but I didn't really necessarily know if I wanted to or not. But my husband joined in 2018 and the competitive side of me thought that I could do it a little better than he could. So um, that's why I joined and there's multiple reasons why now it just keeps expanding. So it's been great and I'm happy to be here. And what's your medical background, Katie? Uh, my medical background started when I was about 16 years old, and I took an EMT class through my high school uh, technical school program and fell in love with it and just took off running with it and always knew that I wanted to do something medical. Didn't really know quite what I wanted to do. I'm still trying to figure that out, but I love what we're doing in the military and 122nd, and my skills have expanded broadly um, since joining and I'm really thankful for the relationships and everything that I've built and I hope to continue with my medical career and 
<laughs> well, we're so excited to have you guys on today. Um, so first, I wanted to talk very broadly about what the state partnership program is, because it's not just limited to Indiana. Um, according to the Uni United States Africa Command, otherwise known as AFRICOM, the state partnership program is a Department of Defense Security Cooperation Program that started in 1993 and has since grown to 87 partnerships. And 16 of those partnerships are among the U.S. states and African nations. And the way that this program can support the DOD objectives is by building relationships, encouraging economic development, uh, political and military development and relationships. And in the past five years, the 16 African partnerships have uh, included hundreds of events in involving thousands of partner nation personnel, and you two are part of that number of those personnel that have been involved. So that's why we're so excited to talk to you today. Lieutenant Barton, could you tell me more about what Indiana's goals for its partnership with Niger is? The specific goals that we have that we've been involved in um, are mostly medical. Um, so we focus on the medical um, activities that can help them advance their peace, security, and promotion and of um, democracy. We've had nearly 100 engagements since the beginning of the state partnership program. And we just really want to lead those efforts to enhance Niger's basic training, logistics, and, and definitely their medical capabilities and engagements with them. So essentially, you're there in sort of an advisory capacity and helping with bringing in more equipment. Is that correct? Yes. In the past, we've we've donated some equipment um, as far as medical. Um, we've developed, helped them develop a medical, a mobile ICU unit um, that they can use in, in the battlefield and in different areas. Can Obviously, it's mobile. They can take it to and from. The ICU equipment that we've also helped to train them on is mobile. Um, so before now, they've always had something that's kind of set in one, you know, structure, and we helped them to see that they can transfer those. You know, they can mo move a patient on a monitor or move a patient on a ventilator because it's not this big piece of equipment. It's mobile, and they can carry it with them on their shoulder, on the patient's cot. So that's what we initially focused on. And then once we kind of got the ball, ball rolling with that, we realized that their medical capabilities are amazing with the what equipment they have and what equipment that we're giving them. But really what they were looking at is getting their basic airmen who were wounded or injured um, in the field back to those medical facilities so that they could provide the treatment. Yeah, and I was really interested in what you were saying about the mobile care um, equipment that you gave because obviously the kind of care that they are providing is not necessarily the quality of life care that we expect here in the states. This is actually, you know, they're they're fighting and they're being wounded severely. Can you, we'll talk more about it, but can you kind of just summarize like what the conflicts are that they're facing in Niger currently? So the first time that I actually went, we were kind of enlightened a little more on the conflicts that they are having over there. And they have four different terrorist groups on their borders currently. So when these soldiers are going out into the battlefield, they are going into the front lines and they are actively fighting. And it's not the type of fighting that we as Americans would necessarily think. It's more of a guerrilla warfare kind of style that we've seen in our past history. They're a third world country, so they do not have 
the capabilities that we have here in America. So they do have to resort to those guerrilla type warfare. And it goes into them giving medical treatment as well in the battlefield. Our terrain is different from what we have here in America. It's their half of their country is in the Sahara Desert. So a lot of times they don't have anything to take cover behind. Us going there, we have to be really flexible and yeah, we definitely have to be flexible when we go there um, as far as teaching because Sergeant Sellers said was when we're training here, we, we learn to take cover under fire and we have vehicles and equipment that we can take cover and under fire behind and they're, you know, they're, they're running out into the desert and, you know, fighting when there's nothing around. So they we, we definitely have to kind of think about when we're engaging and helping them with their their medical training and, and their they they almost show us new and improved ways to do those things because we're not used to their terrain and so they'll stop us in the middle of training and say like this is how we do it and so it really really is an engagement um, when it comes to it because we're both learning they're learning from us and we're helping share that information and we are absolutely learning from them and and different tactics that we could use if we ever have those kind of situations as well. It's definitely great to have that interaction with their soldiers because they do bring a whole new perspective into how to give medical care. And it's it's really enlightening and really just cool to see how they do it versus how we do it and kind of that back and forth of learning from each other. So That's really interesting because like the name of the program, it's a partnership. So I think it's really cool that we are learning from them as much as they're learning from us. Absolutely. So I want to get into the medical trips that you both took. Um, You both took two trips each to Niger, correct? Yes. And can you tell me about when these trips began for you and where you went, just kind of starting at the beginning? Actually, my first trip was just a year ago, um, June of 2022. I had just kind of finished up with officer training school a year prior. I had just been through my first initial critical care air transport um, training at Wright-Patterson. We were just, we're in the middle of a large-scale training exercise here at the base, and we were out here for a a week. Um, Had left here after a long day, and I was on my way home, and I got a phone call from one of our flight docs here who was supposed to be going on the mission and said, hey, how would you like to go to Africa? And I I laughed and I said, yeah, right. What are you talking about? I'm not even completely trained yet. And he said, you're a critical care nurse and that's what we need. So I laughed again and I said, when? And he said, in 10 days. And then I really laughed. And I just, I said, let me think about it. And I said, let me talk to my husband. And I got home and I told Derek and I said, hey, what do you think about me going to Africa? His eyes got so big and said, do it. What are you going to do? Where are you going? What? And he wanted to know all the things. So he was super supportive. And I just felt like this is why I did this. Like this is why why I'm here. Um, this is what pulled me to the 122nd. I learned that we were training at the mobile ICU with um, critical care equipment. And I got ready in 10 days to go to Africa, my first trip ever overseas um, in the military. And I just fell in love with the partnership program. I had We had a great team that went, and I immediately was just ready to go back and ready to continue to stay in, with the engagement. That's a great story. Katie, what about you? 
So I actually, when I first joined, um, our past commander, Colonel Dykstra, was talking to us about the opportunities that we might have in the future of Africa. It turned into one of my whys, um, and I just started going for it. And I was like, oh, I wonder how I can get on that trip. Like, I'm, I want to be on that trip. Like, that's awesome. What an opportunity. And a few years down the road, hadn't heard really anything. Um, and then one day, Lieutenant Barton came to me and said, hey, what do you think about going to Africa? <laughs> and so I, I was, like, stunned by it because I figured it was, like, our flight docs and our, uh, our officers going. And so to have the opportunity as an enlisted, I didn't really think that would come to me, but I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, for sure. What are we doing? Let's do it. I started preparing by coming in for about, I think it was about six weeks, seven weeks of coming in and teaching our members TCCC just to kind of really make myself proficient in it. And after that, we, I think we had, was it, it was a few months that we had to prepare. So a little yeah. longer than yeah, 10 days little. this time. But, <laughs> it was more um, of a heads up. Yeah. So I had a couple months and told my husband about it and he said, oh my gosh, like, that's awesome. Like, go for it. Absolutely. Did I hear you say it was one of your whys? Absolutely. I I think everybody has a why coming into the military, but somebody like me, I'm very passionate. And so it, my whys expanded, like I said earlier, and this is one of those whys that has come to me. And I really, I love like, I love traveling. I love reaching out to people and just helping wherever I can. And so to be able to help, not only help the soldiers in Niger, but also learn from them and get that experience from them. It's an amazing opportunity and it just makes you want to go back and back and back because what we're teaching them is being applied firsthand. When we went the first time, we actually had a class. The class that we taught went out into the battlefield about a week after we had gotten done teaching them and went home. And that's when we learned that they mm-hmm. they were actually really using what we were teaching them. And then this last time that we went back, they were telling us that that class had taught more soldiers even. And I think it was around... I believe it was around 800 soldiers they had be- they had began soldiers. and accomplished teaching of the tactical casualty combat care um, that we're teaching them, just the all-service member, the basic life-saving skills, how to stop a um, a, you know, using a tourniquet, using pressure dressing and gauze, um, and just stopping that bleed so that they can get them back to safety. So, you know, what the, the information that between, I believe it was sep- Jan- September, between September and September. January of this mm-hmm. last year, um, they have had trained over 800 soldiers and were using those skills that we had shared with them. So it was really, you know, after the first couple of days when we learned that information, we were all really taken back of, we're, we're making a difference and, you know, they're, they're taking that information and they're using it. So it was great, a great thing to hear. It's a really cool opportunity because when we're teaching and doing TCCC here um, on base, you don't really think that, oh, we're never really going to use this. Like, how practical is this? But it is practical and you might come across someone who needs it, like mm-hmm. just first responding. But to go there and actually know that what we're teaching them is being absolutely being u- utilized to the best of its ability and it's just it's amazing 
Yeah, that's incredible just to see the work you're putting in just being immediately multiplied because the soldiers saw how valuable it was to their own lives, so they passed it on to others. Um, When we had had a discussion prior to doing this interview, you had mentioned, Lieutenant Barton, that you kind of had a certain uh, expectation maybe of the kind of training that you might be doing, and that expectation changed once you saw what the needs on the ground actually were. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so when we went there the first time when um, Sergeant Sellers and the group went, I was the the middle trip. So there was a June trip, a September trip, and a January trip. So um, the September trip I wasn't able to go to, but they um, went and were teaching the all-service member courses. They were sharing that information so that they could go out and teach it to their other service members. So when we went back, we were expecting those service members to come back to us so that we could teach them and share with them the next level, which is combat lifesaver. So when we arrived, you know, the first couple of days, the our airmen and our army um, medics that were with us recognized that we they didn't recognize the people who were there. They, they weren't the same people that they had done the training to. Um, that's when they shared with us that, oh, well, those, those service members are already out there and they're using these skills. So we kind of were a little frustrated at first because we thought, oh, these are all new people. We're going to have to start from the very beginning when we're supposed to be starting at like step two to share that information so that they can go out and teach those skills as well. And so after the first couple of days, when we all kind of started warming up to each other and sharing information, they started sharing with us that that they knew these skills. They knew, they knew how to use these things and they didn't have maybe all the necessary equipment to do it, but they knew how to do these. They knew they knew how to start IVs, and they understood all of the skills and things like that. They just didn't know how to relay those and how to how to teach those. And so that was the information. So we had to completely take a turn um, when it came to our teaching. And you know, like, okay, we're, we're not teaching them how to do these skills. We're we're sharing with them how to teach it to those people who don't know how to do them, who who are not medical providers or not nurses or medics. So we're we're teaching the guy off the corner how to do do a needle decompress when they've got a chest wound or, um, you know, fluid resuscitation or finding somebody who's got a burn and how to protect them from those burns. So um, we really prepared for one sort of, you know, type of training and then had to do a complete turnaround and and ended up, you know, very successful. I was very proud of the team of um, medics that we had with us and, and how they built those relationships and shared that information after the two weeks we were there. And I think that's a big misconception is um, maybe they don't have the knowledge. They do have the knowledge. They have a plethora of knowledge to share. They just don't have the equipment to perform what they know. So when we go over, we always make sure that we have enough to give them and kind of help build that relationship in that way as well. Is not only are we sharing knowledge, but we're also supporting you and we're going to be here for you and give you the, the equipment that you don't have access to. Just to drive that point home, you were telling me about an improvised tourniquet. Can you tell that story? Yeah. One of our um, translator, interpreters that we had been dealing with for the week, and he had actually been there the prior session that we were teaching, and he said, no, no, stop, stop. Just I want to show you something. And so he ran out of the classroom grabbed a stick, a bottle cap, a water bottle cap, and tore a piece of his t-shirt off. And with those three things was able to show us an improvised tourniquet that was completely effective. So just those things like 
you know, that kind of opened our eyes, like, they know what they're doing. And, you know, to, to show us that, like, I would have never thought, you know, my husband and I go, we go hiking and we do go fishing and do fun, fun things like that. If I'm at the campground, I would have never thought if I needed a tourniquet and didn't actually have one with me, I could do it all right now with the things I have. Real world experience, they have, you know, definitely outlived we us. Right. And they're creative about it, too. I think that's what I love about going over there, too, is that they have to be so creative with their medical care over there. And like what Lieutenant Barton was just saying, when you're going out hiking, you don't have to think about an improvised tourniquet because you probably just have one in your mm-hmm. car or in your back pocket or in your book bag. And so they don't. They, they don't even have access to buying one at a store. And so they have to get very, very creative. And I think that that's really awesome that they... I mean, it's a different type of smart. It, you have, like, this is what you're taught kind of smart, but to be able to go out and be creative and, like, okay, we don't have that, so We're what gonna are we going to do work. now? Yeah, so the fact that they have to do that every day is it's humbling for us to see just to have that comparison. I think that what I'm hearing really shows the importance of the, the partnership aspect of these programs because sure they can have all the training in the world but if they don't have the equipment that they need um, there's only so much they can do and obviously they are very creative and have found ways to make up for the equipment deficiencies but it's obviously uh, amazing that we are able to assist them in that way by providing that equipment that they absolutely can use. it's like christmas day when we're on the last day of class and we're handing out all of the medical equipment, it's like Christmas to them. Mm-hmm. Like, and they know they can take that equipment and go train their brothers and sisters just like we do. Because without without that equipment, you know, they're, they're watching their brothers and sisters fall and they don't have the equipment that they need to, to help save them. And so, you know, it, it's just a different country. Yeah, absolutely. So, Katie, you talked a little bit about the environment, how it's different. Uh, the terrain is different. They're near the desert. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of the daily threats that they're facing? Just generally, what are the problems that they're dealing with there as far as um, serious needs and and the like? Yeah, so this last trip that we took, we had some public health um, officers go with us. Um, a lot of their issues come from their water source and like the cleanliness of their water a lot of their water source comes from the river that they have they only have one central river that runs straight down the city so a lot of their water comes from that so for them to they've never been taught that you have to boil water or to get the bacteria out of it though going there and teaching them public health as well it helps a lot because even like hand like basic concepts that we have in America like washing your hands af- before and after you eat or after you use the restroom they don't have that knowledge so for us to go over and teach them that and share our knowledge on that is very important for them absolutely so let's talk a little bit about um, building relationships um, was this the first trip that 
the 122nd had taken to Niger when you had gone, Lieutenant Barton? No, um, like Sergeant Sellers said, was Colonel Dykstra, our former commander, was involved in this trip, um, as well as Major Sherman um, with our public health. I think those two mostly. My first trip was the first one we had a flight doc and a critical care nurse. Um, the trip after that was the first time we had any f- medics that went, were involved. Yeah. This next trip, um, we're taking two foreigns to teach the tactical casualty combat care, um, myself as a critical care nurse and the officer in charge of TCCC, and then a bio-environmental um, technician is also going with us this time. So the the program is really growing, and General Snyder is is the, in char- the officer in charge of the entire SPP program for the state of Indiana, and her goal is really to make this a big you know, real world engagement. Eventually, you know, we're, we're working with our flight medicine. So we've got flight surgeons that are going for helping help with training for their flight surgeons. Obviously they have aircraft and, you know, there's a huge opportunity for us to share information with them about aircraft maintenance, you know, just different things. So really this program could, could be, and I hope, I hope one day, and I hope that, I think that's General Snyder's big um, hope too and wish is that this is, Everyone at the 122nd can be involved somehow, in some way, because it just it just continues to get bigger and bigger. Um, this last course we taught, um, there was also some uh, security forces there at the one of the fa- training facilities that was helping teach their BMT, um, and they were certifying basic training instructors so that they could be running basic training formats similar to ours to train their air, their soldiers and their airmen. So even there, there's security forces that could be involved as well. So it really is getting to be a large tasker. So I encourage everybody to just stay green and be ready because you never know when you have the opportunity to go on a mission like this. And when you say green, what do you mean exactly? <laughs> when I say green, I mean do your IMR. Do your IMR. <laughs> no. um, readiness. So we have readiness training. We have um, computer-based training. Um, we have health, obviously. Um, Katie and I know that everybody needs to be green medically. You need to have your dental ready. You need to have all your vaccinations. Um, PC. <laughs> do, do the best you can to, to be completely ready to walk out that door so that you – you can be a part of a bigger bigger thing like state partnership program. I wanted to talk a little bit about the specific um, types of critical care that you training that you were giving. Could you walk through just some of those practical skills you were teaching to the soldiers uh, for those who do not have medical experience so they can kind of understand what you were teaching? TCCC is tactical casualty combat care. There's um, currently four different tiers that we um, use here, and it's it's what we use in the Army, the Air Force, the Navy. It's kind of a joint program that, that we're working with to, um, there's an all-service member level, which is Tier 1. We teach basic life-saving tourniquet application, pressure dressings, gauze, so how to stop a bleed. You know, if you've got an airman or a, a soldier who has a wound, are we going to put a tourniquet on it? Are we going to use a pressure dressing? Like, we help them identify those kinds of in- injuries. Um just basically 
airway opening, you know, if, if they've got a neck injury or a facial injury, we've got to open that airway, put them in a recovery position, watch for any other bleeds, any other injuries, and then provide report to the next level of care. Tier two, which is Combat Lifesaver, teaches just a little bit more advanced. Um, there we teach how to open the airway, but also provide skill set of using a nasal pharyngeal um, airway. So basically a little rubber tube that goes in the nose and opens up the airway for an, an airman or a soldier that has secretions and can't manage the airway on their own. We teach how to, if we have a collapsed lung, we teach how to do a needle decompress. Um, we, If there's a sucking chest wound, we teach how to put a bandage on there so that that can um, be maintained. So that's the second level. The level three is more of a medic um, driven course. So that's for our our four ends. So that is a higher level training. Um, that's what we're getting ready to go back and teach now. So they will be able to focus more on fluid resuscitation, stabilizing different kinds of injuries as far as burns, breaks, um, dislocation, eye wounds. And then the tier four, which is medical provider, is for our advanced nurse practitioners, our nurses, our medical you know physicians, flight docs, um, those types of people. So right now we're we're kind of in that when we go to sh- to share the information this time we're working on that tier three, so the higher level of care, you know, to share that information with them and to help them with those skill sets. And with this training, it's obviously very hands-on, uh, up close and personal. Did you experience any cultural differences when you were teaching this training in Niger? Yes, there is absolutely some major cultural differences, especially with rendering medical care. One of the biggest things that we've both seen is the relationship between a male and a female in Niger. The female tend to be more reserved and less confident in how to give, not that they don't have the knowledge to give medical care, they just are not comfortable with touching a male or, uh, you know, medical care can get very personal and so they're just not comfortable with that male to female interaction. They don't have very many female in their army currently so they're trying to get recruit more female in the army and so just that ratio from male to female is very daunting for them as well and it's a little daunting for us going as well because we're both female and in America we don't realize how lucky we are. That's one thing that's pushed a lot is equality um, between a male and a female. And um, in Niger, they just don't have that quite yet. So it's still developing. And we're, every time we go over, I think we do an amazing job with showing how a relationship between a male and a female professional can be. And I think we do really good with encouraging those few female soldiers to get involved and kind of just try to really break those barriers that they have over there. Did it take a while to gain the trust of the Nigerians to be able to work with them on that one-on-one basis? Sometimes um, they're hesitant, but I think the biggest part of that is they've had military groups not necessarily from Indiana or, you know, anywhere, but local. They've had groups come over and they provide them with training or provide them with information and then they just leave and then never follow up. So I think that's where we are breaking those barriers. The Indiana State Partnership Program is because we continue to follow up. We've been 
you know, we're going on six years with this program and we continue to follow up. And I think that continuity, um, when we have the same airmen and the same officers and, you know, the same soldiers going back and, and continuing to keep those communication and the doors open, that just continues to build that trust with them because they know they know we are there for them. And it's not just like, here's, here's the information, you know, good luck. <laughs> so um, I think that that is a big thing with our partnership program that we're, we're trying to build and we're trying to do that continuity of care. And we've both been very lucky to have been a part of really amazing groups of people that have went and we're all very much so passionate about this mission and what it stands for. So mm-hmm. I think we all, I mean, we always, we all stay in touch as well. Like we're not just going on this mission, meeting each other and getting the mission done and then leaving and not staying in contact. We're also staying in contact with one another and we're doing things outside of the military mission as well. That's great. Um, I wanted to segue now to talking about something you did in your off-duty time as a sort of a volunteer aspect. Um, There's an orphanage close to where you were working, correct? Yes. Can you talk about what you were doing there? Um, So this is an orphanage that we work with Major Hayward now. He was promoted, but he is our liaison between us and the Niger, like the embassy. So he kind of got us connected with this orphanage, um, and I, I think this tri- started several trips before. I'm not sure if the first trip was when Katie was there or... Yeah, so in September is when we kind of first stumbled upon this orphanage, and it was kind of an accident that it was discovered, but when we went there the first time, it was in dire need of resources, and just the condition that it was in was so poor, and they really needed us to step up and help them. In January, um, we were kind of aware of that situation, and so we started to take donations. People did some um, packed rice. We did toys, toothbrushes, combs, you know, some general hygiene things. Four days off during our trip, and we went, the first day we went there, we took all these donations, and, and the children were just amazing. They just, you know, they, they just want loved, and they just want affection. And Colonel Shu was there, and, you know, he's just this big guy, and the kids just clung to him like a like a jungle gym but it was nice to see that and you know they just they just need that affection need that love and so we're all we played with them we took soccer balls and you know by the end of the time we were playing um playing soccer with the kids and they were playing soccer uh, around <laughs> us for sure but <laughs> they were showing us how it was done um but as we were getting ready to leave we asked and said hey you know what can we do what, what, what more can we do? They gave us a tour. They have a, a facility for the boys to sleep in, a dormitory, and with bunk beds and twin beds and things like that. They were showing us that, and, you know, they, they were concerned because the, the girls who were there at the orphanage don't have a facility like that. A lot of times they're um, fostered out each night. They can come for school um, and to be fed through the day, but at nighttime they're fostered out because there's no, no place for the girls to sleep. So a lot of times it's maybe – an aunt or an uncle or or somebody who's just volunteered to foster, but it not, isn't necessarily a safe place for them to go each night. So they said that what they really needed was another, an additional dormitory for the girls to stay in. So we kind of, you know, that night at dinner and um, back at the 
hotel, we were talking about it and what, what could we do and how could we help? And, you know, maybe if we reached out to some friends and family, we could, we could, we could set up an account and maybe try to help a little bit of money and try to, you know, donations. And within a couple of days, you know, we're looking at each other and like, I've got like $4,000 in my Venmo. What, what do you have? And we just started getting all this money. The, the feedback was amazing. And so by the end of the week, we had a couple of our OICs were meeting with contractors to to get this started and find out how much it would cost us to get a, a dormitory built. And, you know, we, we were all doing this on our on our civilian time. And these donations were coming in from family, friends, members of the 122nd, members of the 181st, from the Army, you know, family and friends. And and we just had this outstanding reaction to it. Um, so the, we just received notification several months ago that the dormitory is complete. Um, we've got all kinds of pictures that, you know, they're there. That is something that we had no desire. You know, we just started, we took toys and clothes and some fun things. And the next thing we knew, it was just over the top and I uh, can't wait to go back and see it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really an amazing story that you were able to help out these kids in your off time while you were in Niger. What can people do uh, if they want to help out just, you know, civilians or military personnel at the 122nd or anywhere else? What can they do to help? A lot of the common things we do are school supplies. Um, we did take a lot of pencils and pens, paper. We, you know, gently use toys, shoes. Um, I didn't something somebody asked me they had a lot of little toddler shoes and I said absolutely boys clothes we have taken snacks and candies before so that's something anything that will pack well because obviously we have to carry these packs over when we go as along with our medical supplies and our equipment we also talked about twin bed sheets for the girls dormitory because we'll eventually have bunk beds and beds in there so they will need you know gently used or new twin bed sheets would be a great thing too we're getting to the end of this interview. Um, I did want to finish off with just talking about the future of the state partnership program. Where do you see it going in the future as far as what uh, training we can provide for the Nigerians? I mean, there's definitely talk of expanding the mission um, and actually taking medical over and showing them how we would operate a clinic we would go over and work side by side with them, not necessarily doing the teachable seat training. I know they need help with on the maintenance side as well um, with their aircrafts. So that would be an amazing opportunity for our maintenance side. Absolutely. You know, like I said before, I think that this partnership and this mission will continue to grow as we develop this the relationship with them. And really, I think that the sky's the limit when it comes to what it could be because I think that, you know, one day, we may, may be sharing information between pilots and, you know, group commanders and things like that. So I think that really there's one day will be an availability or, an you know, opportunity for anybody here on base. And they want us there, too. Like, it's not – they're definitely – they're excited to have us and show us their culture. And so mm -hmm. it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, Lieutenant Barton and Sergeant Sellers, thanks again for joining us on Black Snake Bites. I really enjoyed our conversation and getting to learn about the important work you've been doing. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.